sod tradition this week, Rich. Hello, welcome to Ed Voices. Thanks for stopping by all that normal jazz. We're going to start with something a little bit more fun this week, so just because, you know, we've got a 4-0 defeat against Everton and a 2-0 defeat against City to talk about. So let's start with something fun. Here's a question for you. If you had to choose between marrying Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, who would you choose and why? You're asking me which of, which of them I'd marry? Yes. I think that Pep Guardiola would be incredibly high maintenance. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's my feeling. Whereas whereas Jurgen Klopp is a fairly you know amenable chap, isn't he? And he probably made me laugh a bit. And I can't help kind of secretly liking him a bit. Whereas Guardiola is just just a bit a bit hard, just a bit difficult to to read and to to deal with, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go for Klopp too. You know, I can imagine us you know hanging around, listening to Iron Maiden and Metallica vinyl in the evening, maybe watching a bit of Line of Duty. And yeah, having a nice time outside of football because I reckon you can actually switch off from it. With Guardiola, I feel like everything would be regimented, like lovemaking would be regimented, and I'm not <laughs> quite sure I like that. He's got a bit of a nasty streak as well, does Pep? I, I just don't feel like he'd be a very comfortable lover, you know, a, a conscious <laughs> lover, I guess. You'd have you'd have to like it hard and fast, wouldn't you? It would be a bit of a whirlwind. I'm not sure I'd like that, you know, like and just in really brief spurts of attack. You know, it's not ideal. And, you know, at least with Liverpool, I've got, I guess you've got a little bit less of a human rights issue to deal with as well. You know, I've been thinking about this for a while, as you can, as you can see. Yeah, yeah Klopp, Klopp, Klopp is on the face of it, actually got some morals, hasn't he, it seems. Uh, well, maybe. I Perhaps. mean, not that we're ones to talk, but still. Well, no, absolutely not. But, you know. Well, there well, we go. That was out of about two minutes worth of time. So, <laughs> Everton 4-0, discuss. Oh. Um, All right, well, I'll kick us off. Uh, I watched that on, well, at least a big chunk of the first half on a park bench up in the Derbyshire countryside and I was out with the family. Um, I didn't watch all of it just to make it seem like I'm a terrible father. Yeah, uh, gosh, that was just... I mean, after Barcelona, I think we all the same stuff was trotted out. You know, we need to respond in the next game. You know, it felt like, you know, considering especially the way the results have gone, maybe we'd see a decent performance. I mean, I still haven't quite gotten my head around how we were that bad. You know, it was never going to be an easy game because Everton, like Wolves, especially as Wolves did tonight, beating Arsenal, it was the same sort of thing in the sense that they often turn up for the games against the quote-unquote big clubs. And they certainly did. But I think it was just dispiriting how easy some of the goals we gave away were. You know, that first one just off a long throw, didn't clear it. Good hit from Richarlison, but not particularly well defended. Sigerson goal, nice strike, but again, not particularly well defended. And the the third goal, I mean, from the corner, wonderfully struck, but just statuesque from United, really, wasn't it? Dave had no real chance and just caught us on the hop. But it's just one of those very clear indications where we were playing a team that had a lot more harmony in their squad, clearly working to a plan, buying into the manager's methods and looking like a team that was on the up. And we were the exact opposite of that. It was, I mean, we've said this so many times in particular this season, but God damn it, how uncomfortable was that to watch? Yeah, it was. I'm not going to say it's the worst United performance I've ever seen because <clears throat> that we've had some pretty bad ones over the years, even during the the best of times, and certainly. Yeah, I mean it's it's up there in the post Ferguson landscape, surely. But I'm it not is, necessarily yeah, sure definitely. it's the very worst. It, it was close to the worst. The worst thing, it, it, I've had a, a dawning realization. It's not 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 new, but a really a dawning realization in the last few weeks that whereas I've always held on to some some hope and direction as to where we're going, it's kind of slipped out of me now. I don't. I don't, I don't see a way out of this for United because it just the Everton game kind of summed summed everything up. You know, it it drove home just how much of a honeymoon bounce we 
it was in that it was a honeymoon bounce rather than a sustainable bounce. And it also, I think we were tactically poor in that game as well. <clears throat> I couldn't see the comprehension in playing our best centre back and right back to accommodate the two idiots in the in the centre back. <laughs> um, I, it, the midfield didn't make any sense to me. Playing playing Rashford wide didn't make a lot of sense. None of it really made any sense to me in terms of tactically. Clearly, the players were just not the races at all. None of them were. I mean, none of them turned up. All of them don't look sharp. They don't look fit. They don't look at it. It also didn't in that in that game and it's a continuation of the previous games. We just look like a team that's on a road to absolutely nowhere. And although we've put up a bit of a better fight tonight, we've just become a club that is just completely lacking all of the things that made us successful in the past. And, and it just kind of feels like the Glazers, are, the Glazer ownership is just about sucking us dry and perhaps that Everton performance was the almost the ultimate culmination of the the process that started in 2005. Yeah it's difficult to disagree with that I feel like we're going to be doing a lot of agreeing this episode to be quite frank it's not like there's a lot of points to really argue about really is there I mean it was a real stinker of an afternoon compounded by the fact that some results had to a certain extent gone our way with especially with Arsenal losing shortly after us at home to Crystal Palace but then again you know even with the result tonight losing against City it top four now just doesn't even feel as important as it once did you know several weeks ago especially after getting knocked out by Barcelona last week you were just sort of thinking well fair enough well, let's try and end the season in the top four spots because the opportunity certainly is there Arsenal and Chelsea aren't playing that well and Spurs just about squeaked through against Brighton on Tuesday night and, you know, there's an opportunity for us to, to get there if we actually were able to string some wins together. But considering the overwhelming problems that United are having at the minute in terms of the way that the team is performing, in terms of the complete drop-off we've experienced since that second leg away in France, considering that, you know, the midfield just doesn't look fit for purpose whatsoever when trying to accommodate Pogba, considering that the defence doesn't really look up to much at the minute, and considering that we're not really creating much of any chances it's that qualifying for top four or not qualifying for top four, as is most likely going to be the case at this stage, doesn't necessarily even feel that big. It doesn't necessarily feel as important as it should, because even if we do get top four, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I still absolutely hope that we can do it. And I still want us to do it because that's where United, quote unquote, should be. And it's going to be easier to sign the, the players that we want and bring in the team and build something that could actually start competing for trophies at the highest level if we've got Champions League football to use. It hasn't killed us so much in previous years because we've offered players massive contracts and been able to mitigate it for a problem. But on the flip side of that, what's been one of the massive problems of the Glazer era? We bought a load of players for a load of money and put them on massive contracts and had to either sell them or just let them go for several years because it's just, we can't get rid of them because they aren't good enough. Yeah, I think I think you're right that in the past, Qualifying for Champions League has had some importance, certainly in theory, with regards to to, to to players and revenue and stuff. Like you say, it just doesn't feel like it's it matters this year. I mean, if, the ridiculous thing is, if we I think if we beat Chelsea three 0 or something, we'll almost be level on goal difference. I'm not sure quite where our goal difference is now. Is is the difference thirteen? We've got thirteen, and Chelsea have got twenty one. Right, so we okay. need a rather big swing, <laughs> considering quite... that we haven't scored since in open play since McTominay scored against Wolves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next. Oh, no, no, but the, the ridiculousness of it is that we could beat Chelsea next weekend, you know, if, if by some fluke, and then we've got games against Huddersfield and Cardiff at the end of the season, which 
you certainly wouldn't put any money on us winning, but it's within our it's within our capabilities if we found a vague level of competence, and we could even sneak in. But it just does. I just don't feel like I give a shit to be honest. Um, we'd be getting into a competition. We've got absolutely no chance of winning. We'll it'll just be a tedious group stage, and then essentially just get get beaten either the first or the second time we face anybody who's any good. You know, I don't think it makes a great difference in terms of players because I don't think we've got the competence to identify the right players to bring in to do the job for us anyway. I feel like we're we're on the edge of losing our best players now anyway. I mean, if you're looking at a situation when even Marcus Rashford appears to be holding out the contract extension, the guy who's a United fan and homegrown golden boy, and, and even he's not committed enough to you know to sign a new long-term contract and to allow his contract to go down to its final 12 months it's very very difficult to see where we go from here you think holly will be ruthless as possible in the summer i've absolutely no doubt about that i think we'll see some of the guys that we've we felt are not good enough go i think some of them won't go and i think some of them will still be playing for the team next year and and ollie saying that it was going to take a few years to sort out is true it's true but it also tells me that he doesn't have an enormous confidence in him be given the opportunity to make significant changes in one summer and the difficult thing for me about watching tonight and it's not the first time that it's happened but it's probably the worst I felt about it is that we were just we went out against City and we were essentially the plucky underdogs we were the we were the puncher you know the outsider the 50 to 1 outsider who was hoping they could have a swing and get you know just catch one one incredible punch that would win a fight that they should have no chance of winning and that's essentially what it was ultimately City were just far too good for us um and you know we've just become we're becoming and have become something of irrelevance and it's very very difficult to see that that change yeah I mean this evening uh, it, it was a step up in terms of effort and desire and level of performance don't get me wrong you know I think for a couple of flashes in that first half, we looked like we could cause City some problems. And I think the fact that we were playing a relatively direct game, you know, balls over the top and also transitioning pretty quickly from defence into attack, that certainly worked well. It's just that we didn't really create much of note. You know, I think we caused some problems and a couple of long-range efforts here and there definitely worried City or gave them something to think about. But as the game wore on, especially that first half, City just took control. You know, in terms of possession, they were just making United chase the ball constantly. And, you know, as I said earlier on on the account on Twitter, it, it's the one thing about the derby over the last several years is it's an uncomfortable watch, not because it's been, you know, it's difficult to watch United get beat. It's never fun watching United lose. But I think on this, especially when it comes to City, you just realise how much we've just fallen off the pace in terms of the top teams in England. Particularly when you're playing City, it's just extra galling really, isn't it? You know, they are so good and in control of what they're doing they rarely make mistakes on the ball and they're so clinical as well but I guess you know in talking about being clinical we did have a couple opportunities to well they could have scored on a couple of opportunities in that first half you know Sterling with that dance in, in the penalty area and then Dave getting well, down well low to save um, but the second half I mean you know it was what 54 minutes 10 minutes in and there it was Bernardo Silva just dancing into the area it wasn't really much of a challenge on him I mean, I, I got a little measure of sympathy for Dave for that first one. Not much on the second one. What did you make of Bernardo Silva's goal? Should Dave have got that one? I think it was it was a tough one. It was it, it was a really high class goal from a really high class player. It was fired through through a defender's legs. And and if you're a goalie, your your instinct 
in that situation, I think is all your expectation is always that the, the player will look to fight to shoot across your body. The very best players don't always do that, which is what makes them the very best players. And I think he just it was just a, a, a really high class finish. And perhaps on his day, on his best day, De Gea might have saved that, but I don't think it was a, a terrible mistake from him. I think it was just a really, really, really high-class goal, which had been coming, I think, hadn't it, really? We we put such an enormous amount of effort into the first half an hour. I mean, watching United in these games now is is kind of like watching all of the other teams against United during the United's greatest eras, when essentially they come out and fly at us, press us, you know, really give absolutely everything for half an hour or 40 minutes. But then as they got tired and as the quality really started to tell and we'd, we'd go to town on them. Yeah, we just wore them down. It was just like that. You know, we, we put an enormous amount of effort in. We, As you say, we had a few um, sort of half chances. We, we caused City some problems. But once they'd scored, really... I mean, the goal. I thought I think the goal was ultimately coming. At half-time, it felt like we've given this absolutely everything. But we're blown out now. I mean, I guess the frustration as well was that... Not long after we actually let the first goal in, we arguably should have equalised. And it's just that issue where we, we keep having this over the last several weeks. We're simply not taking our chances. You know, I'm not saying it was the easiest chance in the world. And I guess that Lingard's been somewhat cited by the fact that companies up in the air trying to get a touch. But to get nothing on that cross from, especially that close in as well, if he gets it on target, more than often, more likely than not, it's going in. To just miss it in that fashion is just so indicative of everything our forward players are going through at the minute. There is a level of effort, there's some industry, and there is some desire to make something happen, but there just isn't that extra bit of quality to get the goal and to take advantage of the few chances that we make. And it's been really apparent over the last couple of weeks. You know, we saw it in the opening stages at Camp Nou and the second leg against Barca. Didn't really see it so much against Everton because we had, what, one shot on target and that came in the 86th minute. And, you know, it wasn't quite as apparent tonight, but it's just the fact that when we do get these big chances, we're simply not taking advantage of them and it's causing us a lot of problems. But, you know, I mean, is that really, that's that's not necessarily the top issue that we're having at the moment, really, is it? You know, the midfield, as I said earlier on, you know, I don't think Pogba had his worst game, but I think it, <clears throat> tonight in particular, given the, the role that he had and considering that how many times did you see him, especially in the second half, on the halfway line with two or three City players surrounding him, Barely any movement and not really any options to pass to. Just trying to pick out maybe a long ball. But there was just nothing on. We're still so static in particular. So that's certainly causing us loads of issues. And in particular, you know, I, I hate to name names, but I thought Fred was, on the ball in particular, absolute dross tonight. I don't know what he was doing or I don't know what he was attempting to do half the time but it looked like he was playing a different game. You know, his passing wasn't great, his vision wasn't there, and he didn't really seem to be on the same wavelength as what was going on around him. And Pereira, again, full of industry, but not necessarily with the quality to link things up. And it was just apparent that there was just nothing really there to support our most important player in these situations. And I'm not necessarily saying that Pogba had an absolute worldie, but you can see some in some way, whilst I think some of the criticism about his level of effort is valid, you can see where he's having issues when we're making runs like that or we're not making enough movement or we're not really providing him with anything to go on in the first place, really. But even but even then, you could see Gary Neville alluded to it um, early in the second half. You know, Pogba was the one picking up balls in tight areas and, and playing 
you know the perfectly timed pass to a United player or, or spreading it wide when it needed to be spread spread wide and, and making the right decisions and doing the right things in really tight areas. But he's just he's he's playing in players that just don't have the quality that he has, who are particularly low on confidence. I think at the moment. I mean, you talked about Fred, and I'm afraid I'm with you now, and I, I certainly think that it's apparent that he just doesn't have the quality to on the ball at least to ever be good enough to, to be starting for United. No, I mean, you go back to PSG, perhaps in the second leg in Paris, where what he did so well was break play up and make a quick pass off to someone to try and break away. You know, he did a really good job off the ball. On it, I don't necessarily think he has had what I would describe as a real standout game. And it's just, it's one of those things where I don't really understand why we bought him, especially for the money that we paid for him. I mean... You know, I guess shoot. You know, trying to pick out errors and faults in United's transfer strategy is like trying to shoot fish in a barrel with a bazooka. You know, it's a bit too easy. But for Fred in particular, I've never seen United spend so much money on a player who just doesn't look quite fit for purpose. Maybe we'll be wrong, and maybe he'll turn out to be an absolute engine for us over the next year or so after a good preseason and with a proper strategy from Ollie and a bit more positivity around the club in the summer, which is what we're all hoping to see. But I, don't see I, don't, I really don't <laughs> see it happening. No, and I think I think he wasn't the only one. I mean, we, you mentioned Prayer as well, who I think ultimately just doesn't have the quality to be, much like Fred, just doesn't quite have the quality to, to, to be a United player longer term. And I've said it before, Jesse Lingard, again, <clears throat> you know, we're essentially playing two forward players, one of whom has hasn't scored since... When did Lingard last score? I, I can't remember. But but the but the other thing is that his 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 use of the ball is so often so poor. You know his his great thing is finding those little pockets of space. Finding you know he's an intelligent player in that respect, but his his work on the ball is really average. Whilst he's a guy that is often useful for a club like United to have around in the squad, he's not good enough to be starting games in a top-level United team. The problem we have is you can look around the team that started tonight and say exactly that of them. As we've seen, the, the battle for the for finishing top four is, is something of a shit-fest, isn't it? <clears throat> and I think <laughs> it really is. And I, and I think that Chelsea and Arsenal have... have uh, quick interruption. Lingard's last goal was January against Arsenal. In the Christ. Cup. Well, there you go. Arsenal and, and Chelsea, I think, have similar problems. I mean, Chelsea, I feel, are as largely directionless as us. They've they've picked they've signed a load of players in recent seasons without any real thought as to what they're going to do with them and they they employed managers they, they they went from enormous pragmatist to a guy who favoured the the aesthetic and sent and gave him two outfield players and expected you know that the, the team to, to adjust to that and Arsenal Emery's improved Arsenal without shadow of doubt but they're still there's still an enormous Arsenal. average squad yeah that's still an enormous average average squad that Arsenal have got. So United really have do have a good enough squad to be challenging to finish in the top four, which is where we are. But there are so many areas where it where it needs work, and I'd like to trust that United are going to you know become better at, at identifying the right players going forward or doing the right deals. But we've gone from a situation where we were supposed to be having appointing a, a dedicated director of football who we assumed would be somebody with a wealth of experience and contacts, and we're now we're now talking about perhaps shoehorning in a f- one former player or other. And, and whilst there's no, there's nothing wrong with necessarily having a former player in an administrative role at the club, just as other top clubs do, 
you also need uh, an administrative framework for identifying and acquiring players and and you need specialist skills for that which we don't have at the club at the moment um which i guess is why you end up paying 50 million pounds for fred and you get you get um stories this week about you know united's potential right back targets usually very well sourced journalists saying that united the various people at united are either putting forward um aaron Juan bissaka which means for whom there's some sense thomas munier who is another that there's some sense if you if you feel that Dallow is going to be the longer term project at right back, but then the, the idea that Edward Ward fancies Kieran Trippier, <laughs> now, you know, cr- frankly, what Ed- Edward Ward fancies is f-ing irrelevant to this to this or should be completely f-ing irrelevant to this conversation, but it's it's obviously not. Christ, you know, I, <clears throat> if you if you throw in potentially De Gea, Pogba, one or two others leaving. If they do leave this summer, and I think there's been an awful lot of assumption about what various players are thinking and not thinking, and we don't really have a clue. But is there the competence there to spend that money and get players of equal or better quality in? I don't think there is. Mm, De Gea, I think, you know, there was talk about it on the commentary this evening, and I do think that this is one of his weaker seasons at United, you know, going back to his time when he first came to England in 2011, 2012. You know, that was a big adjustment period for him. And, you know, there's several different factors for that you know i'm not suggesting that i'm a fountain of all knowledge on it but he does he hasn't been the same since he came back from the world cup and that still takes into account that he's capable of pulling incredible saves off that few keepers in the world could manage you know that save from a charleston against everton prior to them taking the lead at goodison on sunday was excellent and he still has that in his locker but he looks mentally more jagged than i than he would norm than he would normally you know i guess he's i guess he's, there's an element in the sense that because he's been bailing in at his defense out for so long that you can only mentally do that for so long as well before essentially you need someone to start sharing the load and have a little bit of confidence and trust in what's going on ahead of you and ultimately day has been lacking that for what four years if more so I, I understand that there's obviously a mental fragility coming into play there as well, especially on the back of a disappointing World Cup for Spain in Russia last year that has sort of colluded to make a very difficult situation where his head's not really where it should be. And obviously when you're in the middle of contract negotiations trying to get a salary that your club won't give to you, especially when he's been player of the year, what, three years out of the last five or whatever it is, or even more than that, I can't even remember because he's been shining for us so much over this last period then it does make you think twice about whether or not you want to stay. You know, the line coming out today was seemingly that he's ha- he's minded to stay at United, but he wants to have some assurances about what happens going forward, which is the old Rooney line, really, wasn't it? When he was negotiating that first contract and flirting with City back in ooh, 2010, 2011, I think it was. So, I don't know. I mean, I would love to hear it to stay. I'd love Pogba to stay as well. And I think if Pogba does stay this summer, then that will that should give you some indication of his affection for the club and his willingness to stick around and try and make something happy at United. Because realistically, it's probably not the best for his career to stay at United beyond this season now. You know, it doesn't look like we're going to get top four. We might do, but even then, you know, it, it's going to be... You'd have to put a lot of trust in the powers that be at United and the power brokers and the manager and also the board to bring in the right team to actually make United successful again. And it's not going to happen overnight. You know, we have seen instances in the last sort of six years of the Premier League, you know, with Chelsea winning those two titles, you know, not necessarily out of nowhere, but breaking up the hegemony of City to a certain extent. 
but it that, that that sort of spurt is often it has a degree of planning to it doesn't it and what we've seen over the last several years is that teams with the best plans are the ones that have turned into the most successful ones. You know, City and Liverpool have been several classes above everyone else in the league this season. And why is that? Because they've got a good structure. They've got a good plan. They're good at identifying targets that buy into their system that work well. You know, they've picked, they've bought, especially Liverpool, very, very wisely. And it's going to take United a couple of years to get up to that level, I would say. You know, it's not, we're not going to suddenly look into, you know, a crystal ball in 12 months time and see United close on 90 points towards this point at the end of the season it's just not going to happen straight away you know the the problems at the minute are too big to just overcome in one transfer window even if it is the summer so you know i think it would be a leap of faith on both pogba and de Gea's part to stick around not that i'm saying i don't want them to but i can understand their reasons for thinking that they might want to leave and then what does that leave us you know Sergio Romero and goals are the worst idea, but I'm not necessarily sure what I see him play week in, week out. And, you know, if Pogba leaves, then that's what necessarily, that's probably much zero creativity left in midfield to a certain extent, isn't it? Which doesn't necessarily bear thinking about. It's not a certain extent. He is the only creativity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we're now, yeah. We've got Chelsea to, is look forward to the right term to come on Sunday afternoon. And I guess we'll see where the lie of the land is after there. But, you know, in, in a, before we go down another very dark road, which is very easy for us to do, and I feel quite similar to how we did at the end of uh, Van Hal's second season, where we were sort of lurching towards the end of the season without much hope, a little bit of an outside chance of getting top four, but not necessarily sure we could do it. Let's chat about something else. The women's team managed yep. to first seal promotion to the Women's Super League and then several days after won the Women's Championship. Absolutely incredible stuff from them this season. What have you made of it? It's almost like it rams home the the issues at the senior men's level because in the last few years United have restructured, completely restructured, successfully restructured and restocked a failing academy. You know, we've employed coaches, we've identified players, we've 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 improved every aspect of that. In the last twelve months or, or and the period before that when it was being put into place, we've set up, stocked a new women's team with players that are capable of playing at a high level in a very, very short space of time. And and is this, I have no doubt next year that the team there's, there's obviously a degree of building needed to get towards your kind of cities and Chelsea's and, and Arsenal's where they've they've been performing for a few years now at that that really high level. I've absolutely no doubt that team will be competitive in the next two or three years at at that high level. And it, and it's it's really great that we've finally got a women's team and a, a women's team that we can be proud of and that 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 are really achieving and and have just been really really successful and with a high level of togetherness and it's just been a really heartwarming story in a, in what's been a pretty depressing season at times but it but it, it rounds home the fact that we're quite capable of structuring and organizing the changes that we need at senior level it the fact that they haven't happened is because we don't want to that's sad but the, the setting up of the women's team the success they've had in their first season is is really the heartwarm the most heartwarming element of of Manchester United over the last 12 months I think. No I wouldn't disagree with that I mean take into context the actual achievement of what Casey Stoney and the team have actually made this season you know built from scratch you know we certainly had some academy players that have come back into the fold who weren't complete strangers to United but you know a team built completely from nothing you know pulling in players from all over English football 
and creating something new. And it was a risk for a lot of the players involved because they didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. You know, players like Alex Greenwood coming over from Liverpool, you know, we did incredible to recruit him as well as we did, if you think about it. And to make that a functioning side that worked pretty much from the off, you know, winning against Liverpool in that cup game in their very first competitive fixture was excellent. And the way that they've been free scoring, especially in the Women's Championship. Now, there's a couple of things that come into play there. Obviously, with the grandeur of United, I guess, and the fact that this is a very exciting project in the women's game, I can imagine it was very attractive to a lot of players to come and play for the club. So obviously, they've had a certain pick of the bunch to a certain extent, and they've been able to recruit top class players across divisions. So that's certainly made it a lot easier. So it hasn't been a complete ragtag success story. You know, they dominated the women's championship. They've taken it by the scruff of the neck and, you know, sorted out qualification by losing barely any games at all. Plus 81 goal difference across the course of the season is stunning. You know, they sealed, quali- they sealed against second, you know, against Spurs, a 5-1 win away at home, a 5-0 win against Aston Villa at home, and then followed that up again, 7-0 yeah, on Saturday against Crystal Palace. Just excellent fixtures playing ruthless football and that's exactly what a united the united team should be doing you know playing without fear playing with attacking strength and scoring as many goals as possible there's been no let up you did wonder at some point especially after the first several months whether you could keep it up well turns out they can and you know the future should be looking really bright for united now i mean it, as you said there it, the, the challenge is now to go up to the Women's Super League and compete with the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea and City and see what they can do in this new league because it is going to be a step up and United do have to recruit with that in mind. I can't imagine that Stoney is just going to sit still and let this exact same squad compete at the Super League next season. But what an exciting time as well. You know, from a personal perspective, I look forward to it just purely because the Women's Super League has got so much more coverage than the Championship does. So, you know, we'll hopefully be seeing a lot more BBC coverage. We'll see maybe more games on BT Sport. It'll just be great to feel a bit more connected to it because it hasn't necessarily been the easiest thing to follow the women's team. You know, it's not necessarily massively, that league in particular is not necessarily massively widely covered. So, yeah, incredibly exciting times. Um, I guess the only other thing to round off uh, this evening with is another moment of levity. So top of the tail with a bit of levity. Eric Cantor on Instagram. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do we know if it was his? Who knows? No, I mean, no. If you haven't seen this, I'm not going to explain this for you. Just go onto Eric Cantor's Instagram and make up your own mind. Unless you're a child. Don't do it if you're a child. Under 18s need No, no, no. Good, good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got the explicit tag on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, there is a little bit. Oh, I see. All right. it, it, it definitely wasn't him. You know, he's he's not the uh, the athlete that he once was. And the, and the gentleman <laughs> in question had, amongst other things, a very toned abdomen, I, I'm told. No, I know he did. As for explaining it, I, 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 it's beyond me. I don't know what on earth that was about. It's, it's about, as, about as understandable as Patrice Evra licking a raw chicken all for the grammar really, isn't it i guess yeah i mean james did come up with a concept and a suggestion that maybe because eggs and pep are both bold that perhaps there was a metaphor in there for the derby but i don't necessarily think that dear old eric necessarily thought about it in such uh acerbic terms shall we say no no i i, I don't want to, to be honest with you, i don't want to think about it anymore <laughs> You don't want to think about it anymore? No. All right, fine. Well, why don't we leave it there for this first <laughs> half and come back? Maybe maybe we'll have scored a goal. 
by the time we next speak. Wouldn't that be novel? It would. Listen, I'll just say one thing. I've just I've just read on Twitter, and obviously Twitter is always correct, so to, this must be accurate. That um, United have now had six shots on target in six and a half hours. Six six shots on target from open play in six and a half hours of football. Nice. That's beyond LVG dreadfulness, isn't it? Well, at least we kept the ball when we were playing under LVG. Yeah, and we're also we'll also we've also now enjoyed enjoyed in in, in non positive terms the, the the worst run of form that United have experienced since 1962. Yep. Um. So record breakers. So we, we've gone from have, we've gone from creating a new record for the most away wins in succession by a United team ever, including Fergie's wondrous eras, to now just being generally the worst United team there's been since the 60s in, in, to- in terms of medium-term form, which is quite, it's quite something, isn't it? I mean, we don't do things by halves. No. You know, we are either all right or terrible. Mm. I've learned in the last six years. There's pretty much all there is to it. It was really good for a while, wasn't it? It was really good for like three months. It's just a real... Well, this was the problem, isn't it? Yeah. They gave us hope bastards they made us think that perhaps there was something to the current squad and this current team something that could be salvaged and maybe we didn't need wholesale changes we just needed to finish off this season with something to show for it and then maybe make a couple of changes well maybe make several enforced changes in the summer you know shore up the defense get another presence in the field and maybe a right winger that would have been great and now it just feels like the cull has to be far wide and reaching in order for us to get anywhere near the top level you know, football's a funny thing. You know, things can turn around in a matter of weeks. But the way things have dropped off in the last few months, wow. Anyway, look forward to Chelsea, yeah? Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we'll, hopefully oh. we'll have a couple of shots on target, which would be good. That'd be novel. Yeah, right, catch you then. Boring, Richard. United won, Chelsea won. So I asked everyone what they thought about that Klopp Guardiola question. Let's go through those things first. Uh, <laughs> Neil Christie. Klopp, because I think he'd have interests other than just football. Obsessives are a nightmare to have a relationship <laughs> with. I also don't think he'd try and control me as much as Pep would, even if it would be for my own good. I think he's bang on there. <laughs> <laughs> Tariq Amir. Uh, I see both ceremonies laced with danger. Surely Guardiola's entourage would tactically foul his partner on the way to the altar. <laughs> <laughs> The wedding video with Klopp would just be consisting of him repeatedly punching the air. He's got to show off his passion in front of the camera. <laughs> Last one, our friend Phil Wilson. Definitely Guardiola. I feel like I couldn't stand to be around Klopp for more than a few minutes at any time. Pep seems like he'd be happy to do his own thing and leave me to mine. I'd definitely throw that bloody cardigan raincoat hybrid monstrosity out of the bin, though. <laughs> is, 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 is your partner just doing what they like? A desirable outcome? I mean, I've no idea. I mean, this was basically just a delay so we didn't have to start talking about the actual football. So, I mean, <laughs> I can spin this out for another couple of minutes if you want. <laughs> oh, let's get it over and done with. Yeah, okay. Well, we scored a goal. Juan got his birthday goal, which was quite nice. And that was arguably the highlight of the old day, really, wasn't it? I mean, again, we got, I say quite lucky. I thought Leicester were actually really, really good value for that win. Obviously, got a little bit lucky with Arsenal getting Maitland-Niles sent off so early on in the game. But... Very good value for that 3-0 win. And then that gave us an opportunity to close in equal on points with Chelsea and know that if we won, we would then finish above Arsenal if we won our last two games. And, you know, all the chat before the game was, you know, we're not even thinking about any other result than a win. Solskjaer coming out very strongly. And, I mean, are you genuinely, genuinely shocked that we didn't win yesterday? Because it feels like at this stage it was impossible to suggest that we were definitely going to get a result, a really positive result out of that game. No, I, I wouldn't. I'm back to to my kind of late Mourinho 
mindset, which is where I wouldn't back United to win any game ever. With any, with any significant amount of money. That's like your default setting, to be fair, Rich. Let's not be about the bush. It lifted for a while, but but it's, I'm afraid we've returned there. I think the frustration of the Chelsea game was that we did actually put in a very good first half, and, and we've seen it in a few games this, this season, that Wolves in the league against City as well. Lots of energy, lots of lots of positivity in the, in the first half, and then we just run out of puff. Um, or in the case of Romelu Lukaku, run out of puff the first time he has to run more than 20 metres. Oh dear, that wasn't a good look, was it? No, um, and I think United thoroughly deserved to leave. Chelsea were nothing special at all, but I think the way that we conceded the goal just before half-time was a real mood killer for, for the fans and for the team as well. And mm. I think the second half just exposed all the problems that we know we've we've got in, in terms of personnel and in terms of fitness and, and options, and it was just a very dead second half. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I mean, we could have arguably gone in 2-0 ahead prior to Alonso getting that goal. You know, Bailly came pretty close with that free header, which arguably should have at least been on target. But, you know, (laughs) this is what we've been talking about plenty in terms of actually taking our chances. But I guess the flip side of that is that we don't actually create that many great chances to begin with anyway. You know, in the whole of that second half, the closest we came was probably Rojo's header, which Pedro was on the line for and dealt with pretty straightforwardly, really. But yeah, that goal, bless him. I mean, I know there's a really interesting discussion going on at the minute and the rank cast brought this up last week when they were talking about whether or not that Dave should be dropped for this game against Chelsea based on current form. And I see both sides of it. You know, essentially from a mental perspective, Dave clearly needs a rest. You know, he needs to be taken out of the firing line. He is costing us goals at the minute. And I, I don't. I think again, as we said last week, that's from a combination of things. It's the mental weight of carrying this team for this long and not really getting the backing from his defence that he would ideally like, and you know all the travails from last summer's World Cup with Spain when they were in Russia and various other bits and bobs. You know, it's enough to make anyone exhausted, and I get that. I don't disagree with the idea of bringing in Romero for the next two games or necessarily bringing him in for that Chelsea game. On the flip side of that, you've got the argument that says, well, in the middle of a contract negotiation. Do you really want to be seen to be unsupportive of one of the best players in the world and then give fire to Mendes to say, well, you dropped my client for the last couple of games when he was going through a rough run of form. So why should we sign a new contract? You know, I I get both sides of it, but on the on the face of it, you know, it's very easy to say in hindsight, but that that error and you know, it it happens every now and then to the best goalkeepers. But as you said there, it really killed the game off for us. You know, we were in charge, Chelsea weren't really creating much of anything. Yes, there was a bit of a drop-off from the early surge, as we saw against City as well. In the first half hour, we were doing a lot of pressing. And again, we just ran out of steam, which has been symptomatic of the last few months. But yeah, that equalising goal, uh, mentally, it just made us disintegrate somewhat, really, didn't it? Yeah, and then and then aside from the fitness issue, you can see that the, the problems this United team has and the way we set up relied enormously on the full-backs to provide with... Uh, Ashley Young isn't capable of doing anything anymore, let alone providing effective wits on the right-hand side. Uh, and, and Luke Shaw, he got an assist yesterday, actually. That I don't think he's great going forward. I think he pauses too much when he gets the ball in attacking areas. He's been much better defensively this season when he's been fit than than the previous years. But he's still, still fairly limited in attacking sense. The result is that you essentially get uh, an attack which is only really dangerous down the middle. And in particular, if you... If you cut off Paul Pogba, which you know team after team has done now, you know if they you know really go for Pogba, they're they're really out for Pogba a lot, really heavy tackles, 
some yellow cards that should have been given and weren't. If you carve Pogba, then United really haven't got very much else. It, you know, the goal the goal came from a rare a rare piece of ridiculous quality from Lukaku, but we're so limited on the ball. The ball moves so slowly. You you've you've got Matic is just painfully slow to watch and slow on the ball. You know, I love I love Pereira, and I think he brought a certain level of balance to to United. Certainly, put in the put in the effort, but I still think he's he's limited as a footballer in a in a creative sense for United. So, mm. if you've got a three man midfield, you can't afford to have only one of those players which is really capable of creating anything out of nothing. Uh, particularly if you've got absolute. I mean, you know, we're a club with no wingers. We have no wingers at the football club at the moment. The team is just a weird mishmash and. Solskjaer's trying to make a, a functioning formation from a squad that really isn't fit for purpose, the purpose that he wants them for. And I don't think he particularly managed the game well again in the second half, which is a, a concern going forward. But I'm at the point now where I just think, well, whatever I see from him, everything resets in the summer. Let him, let him do his stuff, let him get his players in that he wants, let him get the players out that he wants, let him have pre-season to get them fit, and then approach the new season afresh and we start our assessments then yeah absolutely i mean you know we're looking at point totals at the minute and Solskjaer very clearly stated i think in the build-up to this game that you know once we go through this summer's rebuild which is going to happen he did mention that it's not gonna we're not going to suddenly get up to 90 points for instance you know we're currently on 64 and you know we might scrape 70 depending on how these next two games go um are we on 64 no we're not no we're not we're on 65 are we are we 62 Oh, God oh, knows. I mean, it's not very many points, is it, really? Whatever it is. No, Let me it's have not, a look. it's not enough points. No, this is very true. Let me have a look. Uh, we're on 65 points, yeah. So hey, we might right. get 71. Oh, well done. Whey! Great, that's <laughs> the highlight of this episode so far. Happy? Somebody... Yeah, I'm very happy. Good. Somebody shows, shows that I'm the pro and you're the, you're the, you're the bye-bye-night presenter. Um, oh, shut up. <laughs> someone made a really good um, analogy or a really good comparison today actually on twitter to me and and it, you could see the the similarities look at the the liverpool side that Klopp took over and he he picked them up in mid-season and there was an immediate shift you could see in the start of the play and the way they played and in the first stretch of games they played with much more energy but what they found as the season wore on was that firstly the players weren't necessarily conditioned to do that throughout the season and also the players he had didn't all fit that the profile that he needed to to essentially make that system effective. And so they, they didn't really make a lot of headway in the league. And you saw they had a similar problem where they, they would put a lot of energy into the first half and fade in the second, which is exactly what happened in the Europa League final at the end of that, that season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of comparisons there. The difference, of course, was that Klopp had a, knew what he, you know, he knew what he was doing. He had a very firm idea of what he wanted to do. He clearly had targets very firmly in his mind and the club worked to get those for him. And it was a much more... Um, oil machine from from that point on whereas United you just don't know what you're going to get but I'm just hoping that Ollie's got as clear a vision as as Klopp had as to the players he needs and the players he can keep and what he needs to do this summer and I know he said I think he was asked if he was going to sign six players and he said no we're not going to sign six players and people got a bit cross about that but I think you can understand him not wanting to be in the position of over promising and under under delivering Oh hell yeah, yeah! You know, you may well want six players, seven players. If we sell Lukaku and Pogba and whatever else, you know, we're looking, we're going to need six or seven players. But he can't say it because if he doesn't happen, then he just looks like a fool. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I think I think at this point, in terms of the, the things he says, we just need to take it all with a bit of pinch of salt and actually 
judge him on his actions and, and the club's actions in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you talked there about Oli having a plan. I think one of the benefits of bringing him mid-season, despite the fact that, you know, out of all the post-Sir Alex Ferguson years, this has arguably been the most difficult to get through, just in terms of a full-length season. You would hope that the extra months that he's had, that he's been given as a result of getting the job in December, have given him more time to look through the current squad and assess. I mean, he must have a very, very clear idea of who he wants to keep and who he wants to sell, right? You know, I think it's, you know, you can add certainties like Alexis Sanchez just purely because of form and wage that are probably essentials in order to come off the books, but, you know, one or two others matter Herrera who knows what's going to happen with them and maybe getting rid of one of the defenders because centre-back is clearly somewhere where we need to you know really stock up well this summer because we've got a lot of okay players who aren't really getting us anywhere you know terrible amount of league goals that we conceded this season what is it two clean sheets at home it's been rubbish and it has not been good so there is that to definitely consider but yeah, whether or not he's got the plan, I mean, again, I agree with you in the sense that we just kind of need to get this season over and done with. You know, I think we're all, regardless of whether or not we are a Mourinho truther or not, and good grief, I can't believe someone actually tweeted me saying you owe Mourinho an apology. I mean, no. Of all the things that I owe that man, an apology is not going to be forthcoming. But yeah. no, I think we're in a collective agreement that we just want this season to be over. It, you know, I mean, we compare where United are currently at with so many other teams, and it's not like we've had it ridiculously rough. You know, I thought about other teams that are going through travails or have had problems over the last several years. You know, look at Bolton, who are going down to League One. Players aren't being paid. They're going through an incredibly difficult period with their owner. He clearly doesn't know what's going on or what to do. You know, Blackburn went down to League One too and had a terrible time and are still struggling under the Venkies. And that was a team and a town. I spent a lot of time in Blackburn that really relies on Premier League football and had that the basis for its whole area. And then, you know, this stuff in Blackpool, again, all former Premier League teams who have been dealt a very, very rough hand by their owners. And obviously it's different for us because we've got a lot more money at our disposal and are, you know, a lot better on paper than a lot of those teams are. Also, three B teams. Funny that. But still, you know, there's the element of saying, and comparatively speaking, that we haven't had it as rough as several other clubs. And you look at teams like Arsenal have been drifting for a large part of the last decade, you know, to a certain extent, ever since they move to the Emirates but by that same token I think it's fair to recognize that this season has been an absolute slog a very draining emotionally maybe not damaging but difficult season to get through so when it comes to the last game of the season at home to Cardiff I will be looking forward to having time to switch off from the rigmaroles of weekly football not because I don't love watching United I still look forward to watching United even though we are not playing well and I still hope to see something happen I think everyone at the club, from De Gea to Solskjaer, and whoever's going to stay, everyone at the club now just needs the summer to happen just to try and get some space from the team and from the club and to get a little bit of time to reset, to get their head straight, to figure out what sort of part they want in United going forward. You know, some players like Pogba and De Gea have got decisions to make regarding whether or not they want to stay. And obviously then the discussions about contracts will come into the equation. So there's a lot of stuff to figure out. You know, I think this season more than any other as well in the post-Ferguson era is the one where you hope that the manager and the board now have to firmly sit down if we finish fifth or sixth and don't get Champions League, which is looking almost certain to happen at this stage because we can't keep asking for favours. 
you hope that this summer is going to be the one where they properly sit down and realize that things have not been working. What they've been doing over the last six years has not reaped consistent rewards or benefits. We are not qualifying for Europe in terms of Champions League consistently. We have not challenged for the league beyond December or being near the top consistently or challenging whoever's gone on to win the league into the new year. You know, it, it hasn't happened for a long, long time. And what steps do we have to do to try and get us up to there? Because there are no quick fixes, are there, really? You know, we can't just buy three or four players this summer and hope everything magically clicks into place. But there needs to be a sustainable plan for progress over the next several years. Again, this is all based on hope and an expectation that perhaps they will sit down and analyse what has happened, specifically this season, because it has been so damaging, so tiring and so difficult to watch from Mourinho coming in from the preseason to the toxic atmosphere for the first four months to that rise and then subsequent sort of fall off the cliff in form that we've had under Solskjaer. There is so much to analyse and you hope now that the club is going to take the opportunity to properly sift through it. Yeah, and I think what I want out of the summer is that I last summer, or certainly coming into the new season, was possibly the most demoralising I've ever known as a United fan in God knows how many, 35, 6, 7 years, whatever. Because it was the first time I came into a season with absolutely no hope whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. No hope of improvement, no positivity. I couldn't see anything to be to be positive about. And it's, it's a real shame that that's how it's actually turned out in the end. But that I don't want to experience that again. I, all I want is to just go into the season thinking, you know, we could improve here. There's something that we can build on. I talked a bit last year as well about the about Liverpool and their... And their ride and, and a lot of people were, a lot of United fans were kind of laying into Klopp last year because of not, them not winning a trophy again and obviously he's certainly got to win a trophy. But but you just had to compare the two clubs where their fans were absolutely loving the ride. They were loving the football and they were loving the ride that they were going on even if what they were, even if they weren't quite where they ultimately needed to be. The result of that has been fairly predictable. You know, I, I thought I said at the start of the season, I thought they could challenge, and, and they have. And a lot of a lot of United fans are spending too much time outwardly looking at other clubs and trying to take some solace from those other clubs. But we're in we're in an interesting position this summer because I think, aside from Liverpool and City, who are, are I think country mile ahead of everybody else and will be next season, you've got four clubs at four. The other four of the top six at the moment, and none of them are ideally placed to really kick on and challenge next year. I mean, Spurs could well lose. Alderweire, Elton and Ericsson, and obviously they'll have money to reinvest from that, but that's two really big players that it's quite difficult to replace immediately. You've got others that might be looking to leave, like Danny Rose. They've got some work to do in the transfer market. You've got Chelsea, who may not be able to sign players at all and lose, and lose Hazard as well. <laughs> Where's that? And you've got Arsenal. You've got Arsenal who... Um, or Arsenal. They don't seem to have any money. I mean, I don't understand quite what the, what the issue is, but for whatever reason, they don't seem to have any money or much money to invest in, in new players. So they're trying to do it all on the cheap. But then if you look back, and I can, you can look at clubs like Leicester, you can look at clubs like Wolves, um, perhaps potentially even Everton, who you know have, have got a really good solid base to build from from there, and you know they'll probably buy intelligently in the summer and kick on. So there's both the potential to, to really move ahead of the other three teams above us now, but there's also the potential to be, to be swamped by two or three behind us. I know, I know we say it every summer, but this really is possibly the most important summer we've had post Fergie which is saying something because they've all been pretty important but this this is the big one now I mean essentially if this goes wrong we're, we're screwed for a very long time I think um I mean the one thing you can say about statements like that I don't necessarily disagree with you but football is 
by its very nature transistory. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily... I'm not necessarily sure I buy into the suggestion that just if we f*** this next season up, which is completely possible, if we screw the summer up completely, that that's suddenly it for the next sort of four to five years or decade or so. You know, I think that while there's still money, there is still a way out of certain situations. It's just... It's always the thing with United has always been the case is that you've got to have the right people making decisions. We haven't had that much over the last six years. And I'm not necessarily saying I'm going to put all my money on United getting things right this summer, because I think you'd be absolutely mad to do that. And whilst I also buy into the suggestion that this is probably the biggest summer in the last six years in terms of what we hope to do for the next period, it's not an all or nothing situation. You know, I think that eventually we will get where we need to go, but I think it's going to take time. You know, we're not going to be challenging for the league in the next 12 months. We're not going to be, you know, bothering the upper echelons of European football and the Champions League for a little while either. Not when, not when we've still got this mental fragility and, you know, a, a squad that is not quite fit for purpose. But, I mean, even with all this, I mean, considering that yesterday was a bit of a bummer, I've got to admit, I'm still kind of, there is still an area of optimism. I'm not looking forward to playing in the Europa League, but as you pointed out, it might be nice to play the kids. You know, we've got loads of young players who could benefit from it. The big worry, is, as has been mentioned, is hopefully it's not treated as a completely important competition because, you know, it just screws the season up so much to go into the later stages. You know, if we're seventh or eighth and by all means go all out for it but if we're third fourth then if we get knocked out in the last 16 last 32 then i won't lose much sleep over it you know you don't quote me on that but still anyway i mean what is it huddersfield away on sunday to round off this episode rich this very cheery one uh thoughts like i say i wouldn't i wouldn't back us to beat anybody at the moment <laughs> um you, you, you'd certainly hope we're winning it. it'd be interesting to see how we approach it whether whether ollie has just written off fourth place which to be honest it's probably gone now and uses it in, to, to experiment or whether he takes it seriously. I've, I've, I've a feeling it'll be the latter just because he's been making noises about us still having a really outside chance of making top four. And so it would be a bit foolish to put out a team that, that showed you didn't really think that. And also I think United just need to win a game. We just need to win a game. We need to win one or two games in a row somehow just to go into the summer and f- feeling like we've, we've not just completely fallen off a cliff and we're lying at the bottom with every limb of, in our body broken. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know you know what I mean, don't you? You know, it's been such a bad run. We've been on such a desperate run of form, such a desperate run of performances. Mm. It's, it's, it's becoming, again, slightly difficult to remember when we last really played well. And that's a real shame. And you know, we need to go into the summer with a little bit of optimism, with, the, with at least a couple of wins off on our backs. It's something to build on. I know you said about the Europa League next year and the kids and stuff, and I think I think that could be more important than than we might think because you know the Europa League is the competition that made Harry Kane this season that he eventually broke through at Spurs. He was initially played just in the Europa League as a centre forward, and he scored a ton of goals, and and he, he spiralled from there. The three or four lads that we've got in the academy aren't quite at that age yet. There is some clear serious ability there, and they will have they should have an opportunity to to play and to develop in a competitive environment they wouldn't necessarily have had if we qualified for the Champions League mm. because where else where are they going to play you know I, I couldn't I can't see Ollie throwing them into Premier League games at the start of the season he has to perform in and he's certainly certainly not going to choose to start them in Champions League games and if we if we accept that we're rather incapable of signing players and making them better then the only thing we've got left is producing from within and making those players better but all of this, you know, we'll talk about it. I hope to God we're not sitting here talking about it next year. But unless the club, <laughs> unless the club actually puts some some know how into important positions 
with it on the footballing side of the club, then then I think it's it will all be for nothing because as I think it was, I'm sure it was Raphael Honigstein pointed out, certainly one of the uh, European guys <clears throat> said that you know United have essentially now got a novice manager. They're considering making a novice their technical director or director of football. They've got a novice executive vice president, the banker, who's taking control of recruitment policy. You know, we're, we're essentially a, cru- a club run by people who've never done the job before and don't have the expertise to do the job at any level. So somewhere along the line, we need to find some basic competence on the football side of the, the business. And if that happens this summer, then great. If, if it doesn't, and I'm not super hopeful it will, then it could be another difficult season. Decade. <laughs> Century. No. <laughs> Are you finished? Yeah, yeah, I finished now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, mate. Well, let's call it there. Let's look forward. Is that the right term to Huddersfield on Sunday? Catch you then. Cheers, mate. See you, mate. Ta-da. Guys, thanks very much for listening, as always. And don't forget, you can get us all over the internet, should you so wish. The uh, blog is at redvoices.net. The pod can be found on Twitter at redvoicesmufc. Rich can be found at, at richredvoices. And I can be found at, at you and Lynette. The pod itself can be found, if you want, on SoundCloud, the Apple podcast app. It can also be found on Stitcher and Spotify, should you so wish. Give us a follow, give us a few listens. That would be hugely and greatly appreciated. Have yourselves a superb week, and we will be back soon. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>